Hello and welcome to the Rally Podcast. I'm Marissa Racklin. And I'm Josh Vaughn. Together we are Rally. Rally is passionate about cultivating community through creativity. In this podcast series, we explore creative communities and the communal landscapes they foster. Today we're sitting down with Nathan Poppy. He's a designer, photographer, videographer, journalist, editor-in-chief of the Curbside Chronicle, and an enamel pin mogul. Welcome to the podcast, Nathan, and welcome to my living room. Okay, so let's jump right into it. Nathan, where did we meet? Do you remember? Where where did we meet? It would have been at the Paseo Photo Fest, if I'm not mistaken. That's, Does that's that sound good accurate? Recall. I think so. That was the really the first time I had ever done like a group show or a real photo show and actually no was i judging that one yeah, yeah. that's even before you did a show you were like the juror that's yeah. even more hilarious yeah uh not to say i'm not a wonderful photographer but even i kind of questioned the, <laughs> the decision making into that but i definitely remember uh who won the winner of that was related to you. That's right. Another Nathan, a very, yeah. very talented photographer as well. I remember when you awarded that, you were like, and the award goes to another Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> I am biased to other Nathans, I'll be honest. But yeah, yeah. it was fun. But that was a fantastic event all around. If anybody's listening to this and has never uh, been a part of Photo Fest. What a great way to just like dip your toe in, see what it's like to definitely have your stuff get judged and uh, just uh, meet some other photographers that are making interesting work. It's it's yeah, it's, yeah, it connects people like you and you and me and yeah. us three. So. Yeah. yeah, and the Paseo has you know a great venue to showcase work too. So and cool. we have sponsorships open if the Paseo is in. <laughs> Like, share, subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree with you on that about the photo fest. I've tried to be involved in it every year for that reason is it wasn't, I didn't really care if I won anything, but just the photographers that are involved in it are from beginners to people who've been in it forever. I mean, it, it was such a neat gathering of, of people. And so I seriously doubt I'd be sitting here in your living room if I wasn't a part of that. So yeah, that definitely. Would just been like silently stalking you on the internet <laughs> you're like and sharing and, but not tagging me subscribe that's, that's what sending you a little hearts yeah i was like who is this is that me personally or my photo i don't know <laughs> who's to say yeah and from that uh i remember uh the next year you know we had we had made some connections or whatever but we went and got drinks and and i think chase kirby was with us and He'd made the show as well, and we hung out then. But then quickly we found out after that that we were next-door neighbors. <laughs> Literally down the street did from not each know other. It. I and didn't know this. Yeah, he used to live a block and a half, two blocks that way. Oh, wow. And so that's how Kevin would come over and play with my dog, Moss. His dog, Kevin, would come over and play with my, my dog, Moss. And so that's how we kind of got to know each other, so. Small Oklahoma. It gets it smaller every day. Mm -hmm. I might just move into this living room if this you're not is, careful. That's fine. The, we got plenty of room, you know. We have so many people in and out, Kathy would not notice. So <laughs> shout out to Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> so on your website, you refer to yourself as a concert photographer, videographer, and documenter of all things Oklahoma. We will talk much more about your experience as a photographer and a videographer. But first off, I want you to elaborate on being a documenter of all things Oklahoma and also why? So the reason I say that is because 
I get a kick out of all of the connections back to Oklahoma. I sincerely feel like there's a supernatural wealth of talent in this state. It's it's kind of almost like everything from the East Coast, everything from the West Coast, all kind of like eventually finds its way to the middle. And we kind of figure out what we want to do with it, put our own twist on it and send it back out into the world, send it back out <laughs> into the world. And uh, Oklahoma is just a, a fascinating place. And so I want to know who's from here, what they're making, why they're making it. And if I can be a part of that, fantastic. And it's it it just surprises me every day that like we've got somebody like Wanda Jackson lives in Oklahoma City, you know, a pioneer of rock and roll that kicks so much ass so other ladies and musicians could do the same thing down the road, but she was doing it like more than 50 years ago. And it all ties back to Oklahoma. Here's this lady that dated Elvis. And I can't say I ever did that. And you the connections to like, but Brad Pitt's from here. What? Yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's one of my, my reasons is I like the way that you draw out all these connections, just knowing you and, and you're talking to you are a person who sees all the flaws that Oklahoma has. And then you're like, these things are not real hot, but look at all this amazing stuff happen. And so you're kind of are a champion of all things, Oklahoma. And, and I appreciate that. I definitely just like hearing you talk about it because I know that it's not, it's not something that's contrived or made up or you're just like, woohoo. Are you here from Oklahoma originally is so I got a got a secret. I'm actually from Texas. Oh, dang it. I know. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. But I got out of there pretty quick. I, I, I We moved to Oklahoma City when I was about six months. I told my parents my first words was, <laughs> hey, I can't handle the traffic. We got to we got to get out of Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> and so we moved here to Oklahoma City and lived here for most of my life. Spent a little time in the Tulsa Broken Arrow area in middle school and then came back for high school and did the college thing and Stillwater at OSU and I'm back. Cool. Oklahoma City has been always been home to me. That's awesome. That's great. Do you see yourself as a creative? I'm always so scared to, to like use it as a title, uh, but I love to create things. I, I would say uh, more than a creative, I'm an amateur. The root word of that, obviously, love. And so I just I love to work on things I love to work on. So I'm glad that that's gotten to take me in a lot of different directions. I've tried a lot of different things uh, over the years. I wear a lot of hats, not just because I'm bald, but because uh, <laughs> I just want to be a little bit good at several things instead yeah. of a master of one, you know? Yeah. Well, I would say, I would say you're a master of or approaching that in several different areas. So that leads us to like, tell us a little bit about your origin story. At what inflection point does the mild manner reporter by day become the concert pit photographer by night? I got, I got bit by a, a radioactive concert photographer <laughs> one night at the diamond ballroom and I've never been, never been the same since. Yeah. <laughs> that rash has never gone away. Man, <laughs> I can't believe he bit me there, but the evidence, uh, can't lie. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really started getting into like photography 
at Oklahoma State. Honestly, before I ever picked up a camera, I was terrified of them. You ever watch Jurassic Park when he tells the kids to put down the binoculars because they're heavy? That means they're expensive. <laughs> I was terrified. Of, I thought I would just drop a $2,000 lens right down a toilet or something and it'd scar me for life. But I had a lot of really talented friends at Oklahoma State. I worked at the student newspaper, the Daily Oak Collegian, or the O'Collie, if you're a Stillwater kid. And so... That's where I got a lot of practice. Me and my friends started a, a music show, a live music show called On. We made a few hundred videos while I was there. And so that was awesome. We could make a million mistakes and nobody would ever know about it, but it's all on YouTube. So I guess if you really want to know about it, it's it's out there. But it was just so much fun to make stuff with my friends. And at the time, Stillwater just had like a crazy amount of talent. There's this band there called Other Lives. When I graduated, they went and started touring with Radiohead. Cool. Another band called Color Music. Their drummer is now in the Flaming Lips. That's cool. Uh, there's another band called Dear People. And <laughs> <laughs> I once organized a house show and they headlined and the cops busted it at one house. And then we moved it to the Deer House and finished it there. <laughs> uh, you could do stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of freedom because in Stillwater at the time, didn't have like an all ages venue. So I... I, I was passionate about music, so I was like, I guess maybe we can bring it here and, and, and make something happen. So all that to say, it just kind of spiraled into working at the Oklahoman down the road and getting to, into some other fun music opportunities. But all kind of ties back to this idea that there's so many talented people that are very giving of their time. And, you know, I don't have a lick of music ability. I could maybe... Uh, brush off some of my sixth grade trombone skills, but I don't think uh, people at home want to hear that. I want to go back and I want to ask you a little bit about your time at the Oklahoman. At one point, you you proposed to go to how many con- two hundred concerts in a year, and you did it, and you photographed them. Oh yeah, I'd, I'd say I went to anywhere between two hundred and three hundred music sets during the course of a year. Holy crap! <laughs> that, is, that is what I did. I was really passionate about it, and you know, it's funny. Kind of, I, I was looking back at every photo I've taken over the years. Almost all of them are on Flickr, and it's around like ten or twelve thousand. And I was like, oh, there we go. There's my ten thousand hours. Yeah, I should be a pro. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. In that, was there a moment in those 10,000 hours that you felt like, oh, wait, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing what I, what I dreamed of doing. I'm a concert photographer. This is a moment that is like forever burned into my psyche. The, like, I did it. Mm, Man, really like, (laughs) maybe it's somewhat short-sighted, but literally one of my, my bucket list main goals like do this and I would be I could die happy was uh shooting a flaming lips concert sweet and uh there's so much fun I've I've done it several times since and every time it's just like once the confetti blasts start going off it's just like pure adrenaline and you're just like I got to capture something in this this whirlwind of colors but those have always been super duper special I, they were the band that made me fall in love with music and concerts. And so actually getting to be a part of one of those and shooting music videos and documenting some of their stuff, I was like, okay, I'm good. I don't yeah. ever have to do it again. So I don't know. I'm pretty much good. I could die happy tomorrow. I would love to 
have you describe more of your experience at the Flaming Lips concert and this most recent like pandemic concert? Oh, so the the bubble show. Yeah. Man, that was a trip. Uh, so for the bubble show, Flaming Lips, they're kind of famous for their lead singer crowd surfing in an enormous inflatable uh, plastic bubble. And so they applied that concept to an entire crowd. So there were 100 bubbles filled with up to three people per bubble. So you got to really trust the... Uh, who's in your bubble with you got to be comfortable with breathing their air for an hour um and they did this pandemic bubble show yeah (laughs) oh yeah there was a lot of farts (laughs) let's let's be honest those people some of them made at chilenos and they're not perfect uh it was a trip man i've that was that was i woke up uh the night after the first one and I was like did I just dream that was that out of a right that's cool a movie and I was part of the film crew for that one putting together a documentary with some of that footage and whoa uh I got to see a little bit of it and it's it's a trip man that was cool I love them just because they they're tireless they're always working trying to make joy happen Mm -hmm. make their music happen and Nobody else in the world got to experience something like that. Is and it happened again here in this weird little place that we call home. Yeah, that's that's awesome. One thing that I appreciate, I remember reading reading Wayne Coyne in some magazine forever ago, and he was they were talking about you know you've got to go all over the world and get to see all different types of things, and what are one of the most memorable things you've ever witness and he said a sunset in Oklahoma he says you will he said I've been all over the world he says still that there's there's ones that stand out to me that I haven't seen anything like them and so it, I was like oh man somebody say something like that it's just you, you got to appreciate that as as an Okie so when I was growing up uh we had this artist his name is Mike Wimmer uh he's done a lot of different illustrations over the years but he illustrated the Lion King soundtrack <laughs> CD cover and I remember looking at it growing up and I was like, that feels like our sunsets. And then I learned who did it. And I'm like, that's because he's the, he's the guy that did it. And he's from here. It has, to be, awesome. yeah. it has to be an Oklahoma sunset. It so does. They are, they are supernatural. That is, that is cool. He also did Mr. Clean. I did not know that. Celestial teas. That's funny. Hmm. Bengal spice is an excellent flavor. Yeah. Wild stuff. Mr. Clean, that's pretty impressive. So I didn't know that. I didn't know he had like a commercial background. I know him from his his portraiture stuff and then, you know, being a professor. And He illustrated some kids' books. One was about Will Rogers and another about Babe Ruth. And he was like the first artist that I, <laughs> I had met besides like my elementary school art teacher. Shout out to Miss Richie. Um, <laughs> but uh, that made me realize that like, oh, this can be like, somebody can draw for a living. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody can make art for a living. Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. Like I, a million dollar question right there. I didn't, I didn't realize that as an option whenever I was growing up. It wasn't until, until I was an adult. I mean, the weird thing is if you look in my, in like my senior, like you have this book that everybody passed around and you have different things that you write in it. In mine, it says, you know, what do you want to be, you know, 10 years, 15 from now that I was like state championship basketball coach or a graphic designer. 
I didn't even know what a graphic designer was. Whichever pays less. I just knew I was an artist and I would be able to do art and work. And like that'd be part of my my job. And yeah, so I am a graphic designer now. I just I don't get to do that much art. <laughs> Ironically. Yet. 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 So You're I have, still I have a grown other, boy. I have other art outlets, so You've experienced more of the local and regional music scene than most. What is the talent level like and what does the scene have going for it? Let's see. That's a good question. <laughs> I think one of the the coolest things that we're seeing now, at least in Oklahoma City, is uh, some more venues to highlight the talent that we do have. Jones Assembly, Tower Theater, Criterion. Man, they even fixed up the old conservatory. 89th Street Collective's looking better. I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but it's been exciting to, you know, see how Beer City is going to be built mm-hmm. in the not too distant future. Yeah. It's just it's just exciting to see it be more of a regular thing. Uh, when you think about like a OU or OSU college football game or basketball game or what the Thunder's up to, you know, you fully know what you're going to expect when you go into those things. And what I would love is that you know that any night you could walk into the Tower Theater, you're going to see something really excellent or special. And so it's cool seeing people sound good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have actually venues that have sound systems that can adequately reproduce the sound of this is what we actually sound like, not what we sound like through your crappy speakers. Absolutely. And so it's 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 been exciting to to see the venue world change. And I mean, Oklahoma Rock Show is is a is a huge gift and treasure. They play it on KOSU every Friday night and uh, there's almost always new music from somebody. That's what blows my mind is just how often bands here will surprise you. Something will pop up on there and I'm just like, why isn't this playing everywhere? It's, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. And so, you know, uh, my dream for so many people is that they can they can make this their day job that they can do this always that they can make music and and stick with it and obviously you know that's not easy i know a mm-hmm. lot of people that you know tour around the world but they still have to work at empire slice house to to pay the dues wow. and uh make their life work and you know there's nothing wrong with that but that's just the way the world is sometimes and i would just hope that people with massive amount of talent just get to focus on music and get their work out there. I mean, there's, I could name people all day, but I I feel like somebody like Samantha Crane, one of the most brilliant songwriters uh, in our state, let alone the entire country, like just phenomenal. You you look at somebody like, even somebody like uh, Luke Dick, who we've talked about before. We were talking about Luke Dick right before you got here. Mm -hmm. He's a Nashville singer songwriter doing all these co-write sessions and, Working on songs with Natalie Hemby for Casey Musgraves and Miranda Lambert and Dirk Bentley and uh, bands people have actually heard of. Hands up my mom has heard of. That's when you know you're famous. <laughs> yeah. But my biggest appreciation of Luke Dick, though, what we were talking about is his band, uh, Thieve, is seeing them open for at the Scissortel Park opening and there were plenty of other great bands and some people would swear, you know, some of the best Oklahoma bands ever. I was there for the whole thing, shot it. And 
I honestly think they had the best set. I mean, I feel, it just Steve was just like the energy they brought and just the connection to the audience. That there was half, there was a quarter of the people there at that time that were there for you know bands that finished out the night. And but the energy was just man, you could feel it just bowl you over. I mean, it, it just they're so honest and so raw and loved it. There's there's a fantastic amount of talented people here, and uh, you never know where one of these people is going to pop up. It's Steve came out of nowhere for you. I'm sure that surprised a lot of other people. That was actually like, I mean, that was a Kings of Leon concert. You know, they got paid however zillion billion dollars to come and do that. And I just love that you like Steve more than them. <laughs> yeah, I did. No, I did. Was, and part of it was, uh, part of it was uh, the the writer in me. And then part of it was just the, uh, I actually in a former life really enjoyed concerts now that I'm old and old that I, I just like, yeah, I want to sit down, you know, <laughs> that one I could, I, I could have listened to them all night and, and just the energy they brought was just ridiculous. But what's what's fantastic is that, you know, you could take an Oklahoma artist like Steve and then you could you could connect him back to somebody like Camille Harp, who plays in Norman all the time. And she's a fantastic songwriter in her own right. A wonderful performer. And then you can you can follow uh, all of the people that Luke Dick is working with. And you can see that, you know, I remember first seeing him play at Norman Music Festival. And if you stuck around, then you'd see Bo Jennings and it can just all kind of like tumble and tumble. And, you know, if you're not careful, you'll fall in love with all these people. Yeah. And it sounds like you have. So I, I, I appreciate that, though. I appreciate you sharing uh, your love for local artists with us. The live entertainment community is still reeling from the damage done over the last few years due to the pandemic. Um, what are the things we, the audience, can do to ensure that it does come back? Uh, get a couple little shots in your arm. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. It's a great place to start. I would say, you know, it's kind of a perilous time. We, mm -hmm. we, we've, we've seen like concerts come back and then they've had to take a step back and then they've come back and then they, yeah. they, they, they tours get pushed back a little bit. You know, it's a, it's a trying time. If you, one of those bands that you really wanted to see had to move their show or cancel it, buy their merch, support them in any way, uh, shape or form that you can. Uh, so they can keep doing what they're doing. I know that's a a big motivator for people mm -hmm. is seeing their faces and watching them connect with the music and, and all of that friction that happens in a live concert setting. Like can't always do that. And it's not always the safest time to do it. But find a way to support the bands you really care about so you can keep making memories with them. And, you know, when shows will be back eventually and uh, i would just say conserve your energy and, <laughs> yeah. and your dollars and your dollars say, you save it and go enjoy it when it comes back i'm most excited that norman music festival is coming back excellent at the end of april so three days free music yeah save a lot of your energy for that but yeah there's there's no shortage of ways to support a lot of these people and i'm sure they'll love to hear from you yeah and you're shooting the norman music festival you're going to have to try and stop me. <laughs> Gone every year and I'm going to stop now. That's awesome. 
when the pandemic did hit, the live entertainment industry was hit extremely hard. How did the absence of community affect you? Did you have a better appreciation for it in its absence? Hmm. When the pandemic struck and, you know, concerts were one of the first things to, you know, start getting canceled. In a way, it was kind of nice to get a breather. But, you know, after a month or two, you just start missing a lot of those faces. Uh, it really is a community. And so a lot of people that I see often, it would be at concerts and we would have those conversations in between sets and grabbing a beer at the bar and, you know, they, oh, there's, there's John Fulbright or there's one of the guys from Husbands or there's Chase Kirby. Like you run into these people constantly. It's a relatively small circle. So I missed a lot of faces. I'm thankful for the people that kept in touch, you know. That's good. I got a buddy named that I met through music. His name is Andy Adams. And FaceTiming with him and watching his concerts, him live streaming to people, you know, made me absolutely appreciate live music more. Uh, may, it makes it a lot easier to heckle people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I miss it. It was, it's something that I would, it, on any given night, if I'm not super sleepy or I already played too much Nintendo, I would, I would love to go to a concert and it, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, you definitely miss it. It's like a reflex. It's like, ah, what do you want to do this weekend? I either want to go see a movie or go see a concert. So, you know, it took some adjusting to sit home on the couch or you miss a bunch of concerts, but hopefully they'll be back and stronger than ever. One thing that, that it seems like you have really found your community through this, like you found your people, you found the people that bring you joy, the people that lift you up, well, or, or a portion of those people. What does that community look like to you and why are they your people? I mean, getting, getting mixed up in the live music and, and concert world. Was that a drive, was community a driving force for you? I mean, you, you start, you know, recognizing faces, you start recognizing bartenders, you recognize the person that takes your ticket at the window, you recognize other concert goers that, that, that will tell you what they just found at guest room records. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a community. It's, it's kind of this hive of like-minded people that are, you know, ready to sit back and, and enjoy something together. I think the greatest gift, like the music community has given to me is that I will never make sense on stage in a concert. Like, it's just not going to happen. I can think I'm as cool as, uh, I almost said Joe Cool, as Snoopy, like that. anybody would get that reference. I I, I just, I, I I'm, don't have a lick of music ability, but I can do other things. I can, mm -hmm. I can, my camera can be my instrument in a way, and I can help connect bands to other bands. I can help with music videos. I can do other things. And, you know, it's, it's, fantastic to be able to get asked like, Hey, who should we book for this thing? Or, Hey, when this band was here three years ago, what was that actually like? Should we bring them back? And, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm like somewhat, if, if there's a Jeopardy, uh, category about <laughs> random Oklahoma, uh, concert trivia, I'm, I'm just going to dominate that category. Yeah, but definitely. it's just, it's given me a way to be a part of an artistic community uh, for someone that, you know, wouldn't be able to, I don't know. Again, I shouldn't touch a guitar. They're heavy. They're expensive. I'm just going to mess things up. But, you know, I've, I've gotten to, I've gotten to travel. I've gotten to go to Willie Nelson's ranch because of this stuff. And 
not a million years would I have ever thought that that was even a real place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Tell us more about that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if we, you can. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Willie has a branch. He shot a movie on it called The Redheaded Stranger many moons ago. And so there's like a lot of sets, also like facades that look like a Western town. Oh my gosh. But like the, the, the saloon is real. And every year in March, at least in the before times, they do this thing called the Luck Reunion. They open it up to a small, I think, I think it's only between like a thousand or 1500 people and they have a festival on his ranch. And I got invited to shoot it one year and you know, it's crazy. (laughs) There he is. That is nuts. A living legend. And I'm I'm in his Western town. (laughs) I mean, it was, it was honestly surreal. And if you would have ever, if you could like me travel back in time and say like, Hey, little Nathan, I know you're in elementary (laughs) school, but definitely go, 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 go see Willie Nelson and go to as many concerts as you want to. I'd be like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, but all right, mister. But it's just crazy that it happened. What do you think the connector was that they called you? For that one, it was a gentleman named Scott Marsh. He was booking at the Criterion and I was their house photographer at the time. And we knew each other at Oklahoma State. He was managing a band called Taddy Porter. And he said, hey, man, one day I'm going to open a venue and you're going to be my photographer. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and sure. He, sure enough, he totally did. <laughs> That's and awesome. It all came from, you know, doing some interviews and concerts back when this whole thing started. And, you know, that's kind of like the the weird magic of all of this is that you never know what what's going to happen. Some of these people just, just skyrocket. I mean, it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of effort. But, you know, I saw like John Moreland perform on the OSU campus yeah. for like Earth Day years back. And I was just like stumbled on it. <laughs> and now that guy is like, you know, songwriter royalty, yeah. incredible talent. Yeah. One in a million talent. And somehow he's from here <laughs> somehow, <laughs> but I don't know. It's, it's, it's just all of these, these small moments of friction eventually add up into, to something. And I think if I could tell anything to anybody that gets excited about this world, it's just, it's a, it's a marathon and not a race and right. just stick around and find ways to make it fun and be helpful and I don't know. I've never thought it would ever really turn into a lot of these opportunities, but if you stick around and are inconsistent and make good work and are a good hang, really incredible things can happen. Yeah. And I think part of that is also that you're very, you're very adept at keeping relationships open and making every moment count with people you're around. And for you, I think community and relationship matters. And so you treat people right. You leave doors open for community and that really makes a difference. You're reaping the benefits of that, of relationships you had in college or taking you to places like, you know, Willie Nelson's Ranch or the Karungbin concert. Yeah, man. That what was, was that like? too. That was so much fun. I mean, I, yeah, I got, I got hired to, to shoot their concert on behalf of the band and they're this cosmic Texas instrumental funky groove thing that kind of feels like they just like alien spaceship crash landed with Definitely. a bunch of disco balls fell out. And yeah. 
I mean, that that's just that's just magic. I mean, they had a, the craziest light set up, beautiful stage, and you're just you're just kind of chasing the light and making sure things are in focus at that point. But man, I mean, nothing beats that feeling. Uh, it's it's you know you feed off the excitement of all those people around you and you just do your best to, to make some good work. And I don't know, it's just a, it feels almost like, like you're, you're <laughs> like you're, you're cheating or something. Like you're, you're like, this is a thing that you can do to make money. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like I, yeah. I feel like I'm pulling one over somebody. It's, it's, it truly is remarkable, but, um, that was, that was, an absolute blast. And if I could do that every night, be a die a very happy man, but I would miss Kevin a lot. Cause you are a man of many talents and many, many endeavors. You are also the editor in chief for the curbside Chronicle. That is an awesome moniker. Thank you for making a monthly magazine that gives a voice for the people who are experiencing and are at risk of homelessness. I love the creative elements that you bring to the publication, but tell us a bit about your favorite creative projects that you have worked on with the curbside. Man, my favorite curbside projects. Well, I'll tell you, like, the first thing that pops into my mind every month is what's the cover going to look at like? Because it it is, you know, very important because I, at the end of the day, I want our vendors to be proud of what they are selling. And when they hold up that magazine, I want it. I want it to be striking. I want it to get people's attention. And I, I don't want, I want people to look at that and go, uh, what, what's going on there? What is this about? What do you, what do you got there? Because, you know, that's what sparks these conversations. We print about 12,000 copies of this magazine every month. And that is potentially 12,000 tiny moments that might not have happened mm, normally. Good. When I, yeah. when I grew up, I wasn't necessarily like taught any one thing or way to react but we just kept walking. We didn't, we never like, never had like a conversation with my family and I don't blame anybody, but that was just kind of like what we did. And so I really didn't have a lot of these conversations. And so it's, it's really exciting to see that, that again, that friction happen. And so I'm always trying to make beautiful covers. I know you've been instrumental in making that happen before. Yeah, that was a wonderful opportunity. She did a December cover that was like, all the joy of Christmas, all taped and glued together is wonderful. Thank you. And so like, I'm, I'm always trying to work with very talented artists and, and people that get what we're doing. And so I'm always really excited to work on great covers. Um, we just did a, an issue about patient dumping. Yeah, um, definitely. That was a, yeah. that was, that was a tough article to read. It was, it took several months to report and if anybody's unfamiliar with that term, it's essentially when you are discharged from a hospital and you're experiencing homelessness, very often you don't always have uh, a place to go. And when you're still healing, a day shelter or a night shelter might really not be the place for you. There's not trained medical staff at these places. And so there are scenarios where people that are sick and still need time at the hospital or you know, need medical help, don't have anywhere to go. And I had honestly never read anything about that in our community at any point in time. And we were able to work with Kayla Branch and the Frontier staff and publish a really stellar story and put a face on it and talk to a gentleman named Howard who got into this terrible bike accident a couple of years back where it just basically smashed his hip 
mm. shattered it. And, you know, it, it took him months to recover and thank goodness he was able to get a bed, but there's only five respite beds in Oklahoma city where somebody like him could heal. Wow. There's five, five beds. And then do you have a rough estimate of population of the in-house right now? Um, well, next month we're going to be doing the point in time count, which is something that Oklahoma city does every year. We've actually, unfortunately had to take a little break during the pandemic, but, um, this is the first time in quite a while. And, and, and that is a one night count where it takes dozens and dozens of volunteers and social workers, um, working together to count our unhoused population. And it's a, it's an incredible effort. It's a very eye-opening experience. It starts at four in the morning and absolutely wow. changes the way that you look at the city. That is that is something else. We'll have that updated number and we'll do a state of homelessness issue and curbside. So we'll have a better feeling of how many people are experiencing homelessness in our community. But it's a tricky time. Obviously, the pandemic has impacted everyday life and it's made it harder for people experiencing poverty. So I don't Want that number to be high, but we'll get out there and meet with people and hopefully get them connected to services that'll get them housed. Yeah, definitely. What are some of the biggest challenges that the unhoused population face right now? One of the biggest challenges is that, you know, how hot was it today? Almost 70 degrees in Oklahoma City. You know, in less than 48 hours, it might be snowing and eight degrees outside. That's one of the most immediate things that comes to mind is just Oklahoma's weather. Mm-hmm. Um, it's intense. I mean, we've got that wind that just wears you down. And when that mixes with the cold and it hits your toes and your fingers, you worry about hypothermia. You mm-hmm. worry about frostbite. I mean, I, there are clients at the Homeless Alliance that lose limbs wow. when it gets too cold outside. And that that is just one of the more like obvious terrible mm-hmm. things about living outside is that that's a really tough thing to to fight and so i'm i'm always worried about the weather because i'm a wuss <laughs> i walk outside when it's cold and my brain turns off like i was a vacuum cleaner whose plug came out of the wall i just turn off and so mm-hmm. i know that's a really really big challenge for people and yeah i worry about that and you know with the thing about homelessness is that it's never just one thing. I right. mean, when you're out there, you're, you, you're maybe dealing with, with mental health. You're dealing with trauma from the past. You're dealing with extreme poverty. You're dealing with not knowing where your next meal came from. It's complicated right. and it, those things add up really fast. And so, um, I'm thankful to get the opportunity to, to learn more about this world. But I mean, it's one of those, one of those topics where the, the more you learn, more complicated it gets. Yeah. It's a twisty web. And so <laughs> I guess the short answer is I worry about a lot, but I'm thankful for the people that do care and do make a difference. My coworkers at the Homeless Alliance boggle my mind at how hard they work to make it easier for people to have a stronger tomorrow. I mean, when when any day could be the worst day of your life, God, it's just got to be exhausting out there. And right. so I think a lot of what my coworkers do and I get to help document is just they're unraveling all of that and it doesn't happen overnight. I hope through a lot of the work that I do, people can 
you know, at least be more aware and have a better understanding of what somebody transitioning out of homelessness is like. Because at the end of the day, I feel like you have a lot more in common with somebody living outside than somebody living in a mansion. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think too, for those that are listening, you know, there's not just one answer. So what are some of the most effective ways that someone can help? Uh, like, share, subscribe, the Homeless Alliance. Uh, they're constantly giving announcements of donations that they're looking for and ways that you can help. We often do these art shows because we, we have this program called Fresh Start where artists at the Oklahoma City Day Shelter get some time to work on some fantastic pieces. And uh, sometimes we'll get to show that at DNA. And gosh, what a crazy opportunity to learn how talented some of our folks in our community are. And then you know, make it, you know, that money goes to the artists. That's incredible. That's cool. I mean, that's, I mean, money's great, but just even the boost of confidence mm-hmm. of seeing that little sticker on your piece. I've seen people's entire, like they're everything just like, it's like a switch gets flipped when they're just like in there working and they're like a totally different person. It's, it's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Uh, other ways that people can help. I mean, it sounds, I sound like a, <laughs> like a 10 year old opening a birthday card, but uh, money. If this is something that we all truly want to make better, uh, people have to put uh, money where their mouth is uh, because it, it, it does take a lot of work and the Homeless Alliance does have grants and it does get money, some money from the city, but a great deal of what we do is possible because of the generosity of our, of our community. The whole like cheesy tagline is together, we can end homelessness, but that is truly, that's it. I mean, the more that we remember that these are people and these are our neighbors and everybody gets on that same page, I mean, that's how we start, you know, making a change and shifting towards something different. I've never seen this many people talk about this topic at any point in time in my life. And I hope that's true every year. Yeah. And and hopefully it's more than, than talking. Hopefully it's more than... Than just, I mean, it's great to buy a copy of the Curbside Chronicle anytime that you come across that. But I also think it's, it, we need to take it upon ourselves as, as upholding, you know, we like to talk about the Oklahoma standard in Oklahoma and all Okies know that this is probably one of the most primal iterations of the Oklahoma standard is our neighbors that are that are in house that can't get medical care. They can't get mental care that they need. You know, we need to start ourselves looking at our budgets and say, what can I start steering even $10 a month or whatever you can do, but, but start budgeting for your family and stuff and being purposeful and intentional about it to, to give. I mean, that will end it quicker than about anything because I know the Homeless Alliance is taking those monies and using them intelligently because I don't know how, where the money needs to go. I don't know who needs what, when, but you guys do. So I would encourage everybody just to think more about that. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 these changes don't happen overnight. So it, it does really, I love how you're thinking about that. Like it really does help to be intentional and, you know, we move so fast. I mean, especially if you have a car and you're driving to work, you just, 
you know, you fly by people on the sidewalk. You don't know what kind of day they're having. You don't know what that person is thinking at the bus stop because you're going 45 miles an hour. And so I think it definitely doesn't hurt to just slow down, listen and find out a good way to be a helper. Sounds cheesy, but yeah, Mr. Rogers was, he's <laughs> right. Look for the helpers and, and do as they're doing. You're never going to go wrong if you're following Bob Ross or Mr. Rogers instructions. So I, I really like just, I'm thinking of your experience as a photographer for bands and concert settings and how you were connected through community. And now with your role as editor in chief of the Curbside Chronicle, community is a common thread there where you're thinking about your neighbors. I'm just curious how how they overlap for you. I know that's a question out of left field. Something like curbside doesn't work without trust, right? And what what's a community but a group of people that you can trust and learn and grow from and be a part of? And so the reason that I'm able to do, like document people who are moving into their home after maybe several months or several years or decades of homelessness. That's one of the most amazing things that I get to work on. Where we like to sit down and talk about something as simple as what did it feel like when your key went to the door of your apartment after 20 years of experiencing homelessness? Like, And I, I get to sit there with them because they trust what we did. We They trust the work that went into you know, curbside being a part of their life and helping in their homelessness. We have some amazing case managers that are working on that constantly. And so, I mean, they create a community and, you know, those people open their doors to us and it's, it's unreal. Yeah. And I mean, you, it's not easy to, to build trust. I mean, that's the thing about homelessness. It's so isolating and confusing and complicated and, Moving into a place, though, you know, you might not even realize how uh, amazing that is. But when we get to like sit down and really think about what does it mean that you can walk into your own kitchen and make a meal? What does it mean to like walk into your bathroom instead of two miles to a ditch somewhere? Open your refrigerator and there's food in it. I mean, sit on the couch. You're not looking at a trash can. You're looking at fresh food that you were able to provide. I mean, yeah, that's overwhelming. I mean, that's, so it's, it's, it's definitely different from like the music community, but at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of people that trust you and are inviting you into their world. And so that's the most special thing about what any of us do is just getting to be a part of these people's lives. I can only imagine how difficult your position can be at times, but what are some of the big takeaways for you as editor in chief? What inspires you to tackle this job month after month. The thing that helps me stick with this world is just, I'm always learning something new. Every time I think I've got it all figured out, somebody surprises me. You know, we're working on this story right now where I'm collecting songs that are important to touring musicians and are important to folks who sell curbside. And it, it blows my mind, like how I mean, at the end of the day, we all have things that are important to us. And music is this fantastic connector. It's this way to combine like two of my passions. And I'm just, I'm blown away by, by, uh, we had this vendor named Lisa who started talking about Hey Jude by the Beatles and, you know, how 
she connects that back to her brother who had recently passed away. And, you know, she saw these parallels between his life and their relationship. And it was just so thoughtful and what she gained from that song and how she goes back to it. And again, it kind of helps her stop and realize like, man, when things get heavy, don't carry the world on your shoulders. And I'm like, that's, I had no idea what song you were going to pick or what it would mean to you. It could have been who let the dogs out by the Baja man. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> because, and I like it cause it's the best song in the world, but uh, <laughs> that's just me. But uh, that's what brings me back to this is cause you, the people will surprise you and yeah. you'll, you'll learn that, that somebody who just started selling curbside can be passionate about something the same way that, somebody who's playing music to arenas can feel towards a song. And it's a great connection point. I think for a lot of people that are walking down the street, it's the unknown factors of, you know, there is somebody uh, there, they come across somebody who's in house or, or experiencing homelessness or, and they, they don't have a connection point or they don't think so. I think it's a lot of the unknown. I think this is one of the great things about the Curbside Chronicle is those veils and those barriers start coming down. Uh, they start coming down and, and people realize, oh, wait, you know, they really like Hotel California and I do too. Man, you might like, somebody might like uh, Game of Thrones or Jeeps or <laughs> whatever. Right. Like, there's more stuff that connects us than drives us apart ultimately. Exactly. There's, I hope that if, if anybody gets anything from picking one of these issues up and opening it and reading the inside is that they, they might have something in common. Can you describe really quick, just like how that picking up an issue, how does that benefit the person who's selling it? Yeah. So uh, there's a $2 suggested donation for curbside, but you can pay with a fiver or 10, 20, a hundred, a million dollar bill if you're feeling feisty. But say you pay with a $5 bill, that all goes to the vendor and they set their own hours. They set how long they're going to work and where, and you know, they're learning money management skills because every magazine they buy, 75 cents an issue, they're investing back into themselves. And so, you know, it's teaching them skills. It's not only the money side of things, but I think I mentioned how isolating homelessness can be. And so, gosh, it blows my mind, you know, seeing a vendor uh, one day and then maybe a month or so later and just how their confidence can right, change right. and how they're like, man, I wouldn't talk to anybody if you paid me. But now I people say hi to me. Yeah. People might smile at me. They might have a short conversation with me. Can change your entire day. Yeah. You know, those interactions. And so they're extremely valuable. I know if it was me that was going through something like that, of me being able to work and to do input and have be able to affect the inflection of my trajectory is just so empowering that you that you have hope instantaneously just coming from from that of being able to have this opportunity to provide somewhat for yourself uh, can lead to greater opportunities and the confidence to be able to move into a home sometime and have a car and those things it just seems like it's there's so much that's stacked against the unhoused population that this 
is almost reverses that process and gives them baby steps to like go the other direction and exponentially one leads to the other that they're able to change the trajectory of their lives and their family's life. Absolutely. I mean, in a perfect world, I I hope everybody that does curbside would be able to step into the next thing, you know, maybe whether that be traditional employment or, or some sort of brighter future. I, I, I hope that it can give them the confidence to know that that that's possible. Right. And yeah, I can't put a dollar amount on that, man. No, definitely. So on top of all of that, you design enamel pins. My true passion. <laughs> what got you into the pin biz? So I had a friend in Tulsa and every time we saw each other, we would trade pins. It was just kind of like a fun thing to do. And then I was like, uh, well, I guess I could, you know, I could keep buying them, but what if I like made my own and it sort of spiraled out of control <laughs> after that point. It's just a fun little tiny art project at the end of the day. I love that, you know, one of the pens is the milk bottle building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so crazy how people from like California or Washington or yeah. New York or Florida or whatever, they'll be like, oh man, that reminds me of home. And I'm just like, this tiny piece of metal does that. Like it sparks that in you and makes you feel a certain way. And then they'll wear that on their jean jacket or whatever. And people are like, what's that mean? And they're like, I'll tell you what that means. Yeah. everything to me. It reminds me where I came from. Like, yeah. that's just so wild. I mean, it's like tiny little personalities that you can wear on you. It's, yeah. it's nuts. That's cool. Is the milk bottle your favorite child then? That was like one of the very first ones. I do love it. I have another one that's more popular, (laughs) super nerdy. The nerds out there will appreciate it. If anybody's played the Nintendo Switch, it is the Nintendo Switch Blade. So it's a half a Nintendo Switch controller and then a half (laughs) knife. (laughs) It's fun for the whole family. But I want to play games or stab you. I'm not sure yet. I have sold a, a, a surprising amount of those and like people that actually work <laughs> at Nintendo have bought them from me and it's kind That's of, that's cool. I'm just really glad I haven't been sued. I would really like to hear what your dream creative project would be. Whoa. Dream. Cre- I already did the flaming lips thing. So I need a new like favorite band to fall in love with and work with. Um, I, I've thought about this from time to time. Like I, would dream of working with like a small production crew and we just make documentaries and music videos uh, of interesting people in Oklahoma, people making fantastic things. Like it'd just be essentially just me working with my buddies, (laughs) which is always fantastic. But all we would do is, is help spread the word of fantastic work. And that would give me an excuse to rub elbows with uh, the music world and make things that I'm excited about. Um, I mean, I love, I love documentaries. Like that's another big thing that got me roped into wanting to make anything or pick up a camera in the first place was somebody like Bradley Beasley who makes this documentary about fishing for catfish with your hands called Mm. Okie Noodling and just like, realizing that, oh, he shot that here. I mean, I thought we were just 
uh, country music and college football. There's a whole <laughs> like weird fishing subset uh, that I didn't even know existed. I'd love to just find that and tell stories like that and share what makes this place special. That's cool. You've shared with us what you create, but we would also like to know why you create. Hmm. Hmm. I would just be just be twiddling my thumbs if I didn't. I mean, I am super inspired by Ira Glass. You guys familiar? He hosts a podcast like the podcast OG, This American Life. It's fantastic. There's like 600 episodes if you're bored. Ironically, I don't listen to podcasts. Huh? <laughs> Could have fooled me. Yeah. But the- he it, it's one of the best podcasts ever. Cool. I'll have to check it out. And his advice is essentially just set a deadline. If you if you want to make something, do it and do it again mm-hmm. and then do it again because that's the only way you're ever going to get better at it. And what happens when things get hard is most of the time people quit or switch gears or do something else. But if you really do care about it, keep doing it and do it again. And gosh, that might be the best way to sum up this entire conversation. Is yeah. Like it did. I went to one concert and then I went to another one and I went to another one and then I went to a thousand more. So if, I mean, if I could, if I could leave any like nugget of wisdom for why I do this and what makes sense with creative work is just keep at it. Just do the work. Yeah. Who knows when it's going to click? I always, right. I'm super inspired by an, musician named Sturgill Simpson. Oh yeah. Who broke, <laughs> who broke big in his forties. Yeah. Anybody would tell you you're, you're done. Well, that's what everybody told him. They told him not only that he's done, that he wasn't going to get started. That's the awesome thing about it is he was just like, that's all right. I'm just going to keep doing my thing. And every, you know, history has told what's happened with him. I mean, so funny, his wife, they went on a date night and to a bar that had an open mic, she <laughs> had signed him up and packed his guitar in the, the back of the car without telling him <laughs> and said, okay, you're up. And, you know, that's great. You might not even believe in yourself all of the time, but when you, you know, talk about community surrounded right. people that love you and know what you love and why you love it and push you to do it. Gosh, that's, that's how magic happens, man. Yeah. That's, I think that's the type of community that every creative is starved for. I mean, that's what we can only, only hope for. And it's fully accessible if we ourselves make ourselves vulnerable to be in relationship with each other and to be help each other be creatives and, and give ourselves a little bit to everybody around us. I mean, that will like his wife or, you know, your friend or whoever uh, just, yeah, just really support those creatives around you and give yourselves to them Mm -hmm. and you have nothing to lose and they have everything to gain. So yeah. None of this stuff happens overnight. Oh no. I mean, yeah, none, none of the good stuff does. <laughs> right. So what does cultivating community through creativity look like to you? And how would you like to see that activated in the future? Hmm, man, I work in the world of communication and I just want it to be easier for, for people to share what they do and how they do it. Anytime anybody asks to sit down with me and ask me questions like this over coffee, Mm -hmm. I'm an open book. 
man. Like there's no reason to have any secrets to any of this stuff. Like if you're, you know, passionate about you want to, what you want to do and you can find people that, that can see that and sense that and share about it. That's, that's fantastic. The only way any of us get better is if we like, you know, share with people how much you charge for something. I mean, that's, that that can take somebody just sitting there staring into the void for several hours. Like what, you know, what is my time worth? What is my art worth? Like, these are such hard questions. None of us should have to answer them alone. Community is a group of people that, you know, you can stop, text them or figure out a weekend for them to meet and you go and make and work work together on something because again no man is an island we talked about a lot of these projects that i work on but like great thing about oklahoman was that it was a newsroom you know the great thing about a lot of these music video things that i've worked on in the past and concerts is i if i didn't have people like jeremy charles who was shooting concerts you know while i was in high school like yeah (laughs) he'll think that makes him sound old but like you know he helped me realize that like that could be a thing Mm -hmm. and You know, then he came and talked to my class when I was teaching at ACM at UCO. And it's just like full circle. But being a good communicator and being open to it and be an open book. Yeah. That's what I would tell people. Be accessible, be available. Yeah. But if you burn me, even one, no. (laughs) (laughs) I will hunt you down. Do you (laughs) know? Edit that out. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's good. So quick, name a few of your biggest inspirations. Who has had a part in making you or has affected your trajectory significantly enough to land you to where you are today? Yeah. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but like the Ocali newsroom. So my buddies like Zach Gray, who was a photographer, still a friend today. Adam Kemp, he was a sports writer and features writer that like got good so fast. It's crazy. He's one of my favorite writers to this day. Barbara Allen, who was like our big time mentor and and helped out at the newsroom, like just (laughs) giving us kids direction was huge. I mean, I mentioned Jeremy Charles, a fantastic photographer based out of Tulsa, who's doing a lot of videography work today with the tribes, like his stuff is fantastic. He's making short films too. Bradley Beasley is another one. Like go watch his movies, go watch Fearless Freaks, go watch Okie Noodling, Sweethearts of the Prison Rodeo. Stuff's so inspiring and stinking good. Trying to think of other people that have made an impact. I mean, my mentor, George Lang and Brandy McDonald, they were Mm. these fantastic entertainment writers and uh, culture writers that like, again, made me realize that that's a thing that you can do here. Just fantastic connectors and like genuine, sweet people. Um, yeah, I mean, they've made a huge impact. Doug Hoke at the Oklahoman, one of the first people that ever like lended me a lens and believed in me and like assigned me concerts. I shot a Taylor Swift concert with a Rebel T2i and a 50 millimeter lens. Dear Lord. I had no idea what I was doing, folks. I made it through (laughs) that one, but then I, you know, I was smart enough to be like, I feel like I need different lenses <laughs> <laughs> and a different and I, body. And I did. Yeah. I needed a lot of help, but yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's an incredible photographer and so gracious with his time. And that's awesome. Yeah. Rania Forgotson and Whitley O'Connor who started the curbside Chronicle and are still with me and still with the magazine today. I mean, big inspirations, but yeah, there's no shortage. I could, I could go on forever, but yeah, there's a lot of folks out there that, you know, make me want to do this and help me along the way. That's awesome. That's cool. 
Well, Nathan, we're wrapping things up on this episode. Is there anything you'd like to share with us? Uh, what creative projects you have or life events that are in the queue? You can always pick up an issue of Curbside Chronicle every single month. We'll have a brand new issue for you. Excited about this art show, this photo show, mostly like a lot of my concert work that will be at Lively Brewing at the end of March. So that's going to be fantastic. Yep. I think March 25th, we'll have an artist reception for you. Very excited about that. I'm probably going to get married this year. Woo-hoo! So that's exciting. I'm going to be a real grown up. Does she know? Uh, she'll know. Okay. <laughs> Who is she? <laughs> she already said yes. Who Emily, thanks for listening all the way to the Aww. end. But Aww. Yeah. And then you have the most awesome dog ever. So I do have Kevin in my life. So I got, I got no complaints. (laughs) Well, thanks for being on the podcast, Nathan. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thanks to Nathan Poppy for sharing his time with us. And thank you for tuning in to the rally podcast. Be sure to follow like, and subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Instagram at rally.up.okc or online at rallyokc.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode on behalf of Josh and me. Cheers. Hope you listen to me again, sir. Listen to me talk. <laughs> I like to talk pretty. <laughs> we all need a stiff drink. This thing's going nowhere. <laughs>